guys have been leaky a little bit lately. Doesn't happen too often anymore. Um, one of my things I try to do when I ask people to serve, when people volunteer to serve, is I try to stay out of their way. I didn't have any clue what songs were picked this week. And then my daughter starts singing. And some, it's just, it's, okay, all right, it's going to be all right. Uh, I've got a lot of gratitude on my mind today. I know that it's been a hard couple of years, um, and uh, hearing Chris pray, if you guys are newer to our church, you might not know Chris, coaches, specialist coaches. Uh, he's our, uh, our current um, peacekeeper. For uh, the for the whole country, Chris is in charge. Um, he right? No, that's not your job. Uh, be praying for Chris. Uh, he he prayed our offering prayer, and he's going to head overseas here in a couple of months, serving our nation in the army. Um, he's probably mad at me for bringing that up, not because he doesn't he just didn't want the attention. And it got me thinking of the the whole era that was the COVID shutdowns and things like that, and um, just how. I know that I and I hear this stuff that you know uh, we can't get younger people to do anything. But I uh, I've seen a lot of younger people, and as I said in the last couple of weeks, I turn 45 next month. I don't know about you, but I I'm feeling it at that. And some of you go, oh, I don't even remember it. Richard said that to me this morning to see people step up and serve in the ways they have and the ways they did then and now to see his church as a whole rise up and really desire to serve the community it's very encouraging to me this wednesday night we are uh, hosting a neighborhood block party and i encourage you to be praying for those opportunities that go before there we'll have a mission team here i think they're from missouri coming in this week to help us out with that as well but we need people in our church family to meet our community. We can invite as many mission teams in as possible, but the point is for them is to assist us in helping to reach our community. And we've gotten a lot of attention on Facebook with our advertising for the block party. And the intention with that is to invite families into Vacation Bible School. And, and so I encourage you to, uh, to be a part of what's happening Wednesday. Um, I'm also going to say this now because uh, I'll forget to later. Um, we're going to have hot dogs and chips and stuff like that. All the unhealthy things. Please don't bring anything healthy. Okay? We're just going to have the goodies this week. No, uh, the, um, because of we're expecting so many more people, we're trying to kind of streamline how everything's working together. So um, we aren't with this ask that if you usually bring a dish, we love those dishes save them for the next week and uh we'll uh we'll just be doing the, the hot dogs and chips and all the different jobs you might have been assigned to along the way but the biggest thing is to share the love of christ with our community our world is imprisoned and i think that this week was good evidence of that as you see uh momentous times in our nation on and i and i i, I know that you if you've heard me speak know that i am unapologetically in favor of life because Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I also know that the, uh, the political spectrum is what it is, and I'm not uh, ignorant to the fact that you may not totally agree with everything that happened, but 
as long as I'm uh, in this place, our church as a whole stands for that gift of life. And so be praying for those who minister to families. There's a lot of confusion in our world right now. Lift up the pregnancy center locally. Um, and just pray for opportunities to really show who the kingdom of God is. Because genuinely, this world is a slave to the sin, slave to the law, as it would be here. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, but as I, I've been looking at this passage and the circumstances of my life as I was sharing with the kids earlier, and how we as humans, we leave a lot of baggage behind. God, though, he's the perfect, he's the good father, and he invites us in to experience his love and his grace in special ways. And we must partner together as the church among other churches in our community to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go, as he says, to make disciples. And here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And I know there are many in here who have been obedient to that step that Christ calls us to in baptism. But also, I would be negligent to, again, think that everyone in the audience, anyone who hears, even online perhaps, has taken that step of faith, that step of trust and obedience that is believer's baptism. And that's what we we believe here in our church is that the, that there's nothing about the water. It's just the city of Pueblo's water that goes into this baptistry. I don't sprinkle things in it. For it, It's just water. What it does is it helps us draw that picture and that step of obedience, that picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's our first proclamation as a believer to this world of his salvation in our lives. And you may need to take that step, and we want to help you be obedient to Christ. So if you have questions about baptism, right now is the time to ask those questions. You can find me, and we, I'd love to talk with you about it. Uh, we'd like to get as many people going through that water as possible. Uh, and uh, God God is good, and we want to bring him the glory for saving us. So that's going to be on July 10th that we are expecting to do baptism. And so that's just a couple of weeks from now. I, I was telling people this morning, you see that slide up on the screen. I, I looked at it, and my brain has already checked into July. And so every time I see June, I'm like, is that old? No, that's today. So uh, anyway, my brain's moving on fast forward. But um, we have a couple of weeks to get ready for that. And I encourage you to, to trust God in taking that step if you have yet to do so. All right, Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to talk today about how those who trust in Christ are heirs of the King. Let's stand together as we read these verses. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thank you, Lord, for lifting us out of the law. 
and calling us to be your children. I pray we would trust you to believe that today. In Jesus' name. All right, so uh, last week on Father's Day, Greg Cole shared a wonderful message from Luke about the prodigal son or the extravagance of the father and the pursuit of the father. And I, and I thought, I think it's an interesting uh, way, and I, and I always am encouraged when I hear other people share the word, and it even goes back to what I was talking about with um, with planning a worship service. When I was leading worship, I never really wanted somebody to tell me what songs to pick. They may have suggestions along the way. and uh, So I've tried to keep that up. Um, that you know, They may disagree with me at different times that I keep my nose out of things, but I try to in order to show a trust in what the Holy Spirit is doing, not just through me, but through the church as a whole. And that's it. And I got a high view of the church. I really believe that in that God calls everybody to a ministry and calls you to do something. And if you have been placed in that ministry, he's given you the responsibility to trust in him and so and, and, and to do what he wants you to do. So when we look at this and we look at all these things and how they're all working together, we find that God does still his things his way. And he draws it to, together those who would bring a message. And in the midst of all of these uh things that Paul's talking about, about dealing with the law versus uh, understanding what grace is. And now as we transition into talking about our inheritance, we see that, you know, he, he brought a message to us last week from, the, from Luke 15 to talk to us about the extravagance of God's love as our perfect Father. Many in the room have not had a perfect experience with their father. And I, we, we need to come to that honestly. But when we start looking at the scripture and we see God as described as the father, we must realize that the father's love is perfect. Our heavenly father is, is the perfect representation of what real love is. Love is, as it's described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. All those wonderful pictures that you get out of a passage like that. And, and every one of us, whether or not we could say we had a great experience, a good, a bad experience with our earthly father, we must realize that our earthly fathers are all sinful humans. They're all going to trip up, and they're all going to make big mistakes, and they're all going to make little mistakes, and they're all occasionally going to do something good and, and, and maybe even something great and wonderful. But we're all sinners in need of the grace of God. And so when we look at this picture here, what we find is that God is giving us this picture through the Apostle Paul to understand his extravagance. To be an heir, and we look at that word, and that, for, I remember learning how to spell that word when I was a kid, because English is weird, right? I mean, like, we're breathing air right now, but it's not spelled like that air. And when you put an H at the start of it, what does that mean? Do I say hair? Do I say hire? Because it kind of looks like that. Well, no, we, we, are, we see that the way we spell it here, H-E-R, I even messed it up. H, I'm looking at it, and I spelled it wrong. H-E-I-R, 
means one that is entitled to the property of the father or of the parents. And he's specifically using this picture of the son in order, I believe, to draw the parallel to Christ the son. Because when we find out the inheritance that we receive, that inheritance is property of God. And it is something that is bestowed on those who place their trust in him. And we'll come back to another passage that really talks about that adoption that God brings us, that place that he brings Gentiles to, so that we then carry the inheritance of Judah, the line of David, ultimately in Christ through faith. So he draws this picture here. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Now, we start talking about the political words here that we throw out, uh, and we find here that it is a complicated word, slavery. And in our nation's history, it is a very, very bad thing. A war was fought to cease that problem. Now, we see the ramifications even a century and a half later of that. But what we are talking about here is not the, the, the right or wrong nature of slavery. We can say that owning another human, we find that to be unjust. unjust. All right? That's not a good thing. But what Paul is telling us here is, is, is just a societal reality of the day. We have people that lived in a master's home that served his needs. And they lived there for different reasons. Sometimes they sold themselves into slavery in order to get out of debt. Sometimes they were born into it. You had different kinds of situations going on here. But even today, in different parts of the world, it's a reality. It happens. But what we have here is a distinction because there was a responsibility in the master to care for those who were in, in his employ or in his servitude. The slave was to have his needs met by the master. And so when we start talking about a child, what we find is this interesting dichotomy because the child does not yet hold the authority of the owner, but he does hold the status as the owner. He is the owner of all the things. And that was one of the things that I was trying to draw a picture of. It's interesting that you think this wonderful illustration that the kids are going to get is going to go well, and then you ask a question, and it goes away. Anybody ever have that happen when you're working with kids? You had it all figured out, and then you didn't have it all figured out. That's called parenting. Anyway, um, what we find, though, is that when we have an inheritance, it's the, it's the fact that everything in the home does belong to the family. And, you know, in, in our culture, it goes to the next of kin. And it, so when my dad passed away 14 years ago, his property just, in essence, went to my mom. And then Beyond that, then, it has become the property of my brother and I and her passing. And how we all work that out is determined through legal documentation. But if there is no legal documentation, then something has to be done about it. And the practice in this day 
was that the the oldest carried the, the oldest son particularly carried the ownership of that property now what does it mean that till the proper day now in the jewish culture it would be something like the bar mitzvah the coming of age in the in the roman culture it was interesting i was reading about it and i was going to bring that book up here with me and i got distracted and didn't but in the roman culture that they all wore togas they all wore the same outfit right you're only known by your face everybody's the same but the children were designated with the fact that they had a different colored belt usually purple and that meant that they were not yet of age and i even think of it now as you know you got a driver's license and this obviously didn't work out well because right now i don't have an underage one as we just discussed but I've had a driver's license for 30 years. I got it at 15. Isn't that scary? 15-year-old in the control of a 1,000-pound vehicle, 1,000-pound vehicle. But often today, if they are not yet of age, what does the license look like? It's vertical instead of horizontal. It's portrait instead of landscape, if you guys are into the, the, the picture thing, right? So if you're of age, it might be... Uh, it, it, it's it's horizontal it, and it's the right color and I remember in New Mexico they would do them uh, and I actually didn't have one they started doing this after I got my initial licenses but they would do them portrait and they would be a different color so that it was obvious if that person got stopped that there might be a problem at hand because they're not yet of age and there are things that being of age offers in our culture today. I mean, you have the right to vote. You have the right to drink alcohol. You can go into the military. You can do all these different kinds of things that come because of a certain age. And there's different limits. So what does it mean to be coming of age? It is that place here in the Jewish culture. It says he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Well, what date would that be? Whatever the father decides to set. It is a very, uh, very clear picture that there's the authority of the father in the family. Now, in our faith, we are then called to this understanding that we now are not slaves. Although Paul does call himself a bondservant at times. That bondservant is one who is indebted to the one who has rescued him, who has paid his price. That is Paul's terminology for that. But in this place, we see that the, the father sets it in place so that the child, the heir, receives all things at that designated time. They receive everything that is in possession of the father. And most of the time in our culture, when that day comes, is, I mean, it, the, the inheritance is received whenever it's either bestowed upon you or whether you lose a, lose a parent. And... I got to thinking about what my dad's garage looked like when we went down to clean out his house. <laughs> like, oh, that was a big mess, right? Many of us have had that kind of experience in our earthly relationships. That we receive something that we didn't really want, right? But our Heavenly Father has made all things right. How has He done it? He's done it in Christ. In the same way, we are also children. We are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Remember what Paul is talking about up to this point in Galatians. He's talking about the law. 
that the law is insufficient to save us and can only enslave us. We will try to follow the rules and follow the rules and get everything right just so so that everything works right the way it's supposed to happen. It's kind of like when I asked the kids that question. I thought I asked them a good question, and they just stared at me. God, though, has set everything in place that it works together. Christ came and fulfilled the law, and he even says so, that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in his fulfillment, he offers us the only true liberty there is. This next verse in verse 4 is an interesting one because I, I like to use it at Christmas. It's a, it's a great verse to pull out as we see the, uh, the advent of, of Christ. We see the, the birth of the Savior coming in the fullness of time. And that's probably where I've used this passage the most. And I think it's appropriate to do it there or else I wouldn't. In the context of it, though, what we are talking about is ultimately salvation history worked out in Earth's timeline. God knows what's going on. There are a couple of different words for time used in Scripture. One of them has to do with, like, epics, like, like this, not epic, but epoch, e epoch. How do you say that word? I don't know. E-P-O-C-H. I did spell that right, and I wasn't looking at it. It has to do with eras of time. This word here is the word chronos, used in that sense of your wristwatch. God placed Christ in history where he wanted him to be. And if you look at everything that was happening in history and the Roman Empire and, and everything that was happening with the Jews, it really works out quite well in the way it works out if we come to an understanding of faith. And we even see today that working out, and we say, Christ comes soon, Maranatha, right? We want to receive Christ now because of the troubles and the, and the trials we place in this world. But it is not our job to work that out. In this passage, we see that that ultimate physical inheritance is not our responsibility. Whose is it? Whose is it? The Father's. It's God's. So we can be discouraged. We can be beat down. We can get our feelings hurt. We can be excited. We can be betrayed. We can do whatever we want to with it. But what we must come to, as we see here, when it talks about the fullness of time, is that we must trust God to be sovereign. That He is the one who has all these things figured out. And that if I was in charge of these things, the whole Jesus thing probably wouldn't have worked out too well. Right? You guys have witness some of the things I can be in charge of. God had it worked out, though, in, that, in the perfect moment in history, in the fullness of time, he sends his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, as children of his. He comes and he sends Christ to do all the things that we could not possibly do ourselves. And he brings that moment of salvation. 
It, and all of these things are talking about the fulfillment of the Scriptures. He's born of a woman, born under the law. He redeemed those who were under the law. In other words, he did what the law required, and he gave us the opportunity to receive the gift of sonship, of being his child, of receiving the inheritance offered only to those who belong to him. Hallelujah. God is good. And and he talks about this more in than than here than in just this place. I want to go quickly to Romans chapter 8. I've said it before, but it's something that we need to say again if you don't understand how all the New Testament works together. We remember that the the Bible, the New Testament is not in chronological order. Paul's letters are, are, there's two kinds of letters. There's letters to churches, there's letters to individuals. And they're written in order and separated as such, longest to shortest. It is not the earliest that comes first. Galatians is believed to be Paul's earliest letter. And pragmatically, practically, it works out to be a rough draft for what we find in the book of Romans. And they're both written to Gentile believers. They're both written to, to, to teach those uh, who have no context of faith what Christ did for them under the law so that they might receive that adoption. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. By the way, if you need to pick me up today, later read Romans 8. Don't read it all right now. Well, I guess if you need it that bad, you can keep reading. All right? So then, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. So things are promised there. We are promised the riches, but we are also promised what? Suffering. We're going to face hardship in this world because once we declare ourselves on the side of the king, there are going to be op- there's going to be opposition with the prince and the principalities of the air. That is the devil. If you proclaim your faith in Christ, you are proclaiming war in this world. That's an interesting place to be. But I will tell you that you have picked the winning side. God wins. He already did it in Christ. He's not still on that cross. The victory is his. And now he's offering those who place their faith in him adoption to be a child of the king. There's a word that appears in both of these passages. That, that's a gentle word. In the midst of all of these hard things we, we deal with, he gives us verse 6, and it was in about verse 16, I think, in, in Romans. I already turned it back, but... In verse 6 of Galatians 4, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Again, that promise through his adoption. And what does it do? It cries, Abba. Abba, 
and, Amer- and uh, Aramaic, Americ? That's not what it is. Aramaic word that's transliterated for us. That means it's not directly translated. We actually have the word. And the and the plainest meaning for us, if we were going to translate it, is daddy. It's a very gentle picture. And we actually see Jesus use that in his prayers. If you go to uh, Mark chapter 14, you see that he declares Abba, Father, as he prays, if this cup would pass from me. It's a very intimate statement. And so now we, if we have received the gift of salvation, not ju- we don't just get access to the throne. The king is our dad. We are all co-heirs, as it said in Romans 8, with Christ. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, an heir is a precious child of the king. It is someone who is going to receive the riches of glory. And one of the wonderful and glorious things about God is that His riches are, are limitless. When you receive Him, you receive all of Him. He is our, our inheritance. And so when we come to the places of fulfillment, where you look in Revelation and you see what God is doing and at, the, at the fulfillment of history, we, what do we do with our riches? What do we do with all the things that we might earn? We cast them at his feet because he, he is the inheritance. And so instead of an earthly mess, we receive the perfect eternal king who offers us life eternal. What's that going to look like? You know, I'm not exactly sure, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. So if you are a child of the king, why wouldn't you identify yourself with him? And here I bring it back to baptism. That's how we identify with Christ. Christ calls us to salvation. He offers us saving faith. And he commands his church. He commissions those who trust in him to go baptize and make disciples. Why baptize? Because there's no more genuine a picture of submission than identifying in his death and his resurrection. And so if you've already done that step, trust me, you don't need to do it again. But if you have not yet, why wouldn't you when you realize the great love and inheritance that Christ has given you? Be bold in your proclamation of Christ as I was talking with somebody about this week, and in our tradition, we, you know, we talk about walking the aisle. And I've read the Bible through many times. It never talks about walking the aisle. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. That's why we do the invitation time every week. I think there's some uh, a sense of uh, identifying our and, and taking that step of obedience. But the the ultimate identification with Christ is baptism. It's submitting your life 
to his authority. And he promises and seals it with his spirit. His promise. So there may be a step. You may need to take that initial step of faith today to trust Christ as your Savior. That may be a real thing that you need to do. And I encourage you to do that. To trust him. To receive that spirit of adoption. To be welcomed into his family. And maybe you've already done that, but you have been, you had the cold feet about taking that step of obedience and baptism. Today's the day to make it happen. Now, there's not any water in there right now. We got it on the camera. But follow him. Trust in him. You want to bring glory to the king? You want to see God do great things with your life? Trust him. Follow him. Obey him. Believe him. Let's pray. Our Father, you are good and you are faithful to us.